Next Chapter Podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. this song the answer is yes and it's like the first time i've ever heard it it's by a band called wire off their 1977 debut album pink flag it's also number 412 out of 500 on the 500 with josh adam myers welcome all of you how is everybody today it's a beautiful wednesday The music is phenomenal. The world might be falling apart. Has it fallen apart, people? I have no idea. I'm stuck in my domicile with my dog that is literally a money pit. I love her more than anything in this world, but Lekka, if I didn't get dog insurance... Dude, if you have a dog and you don't have dog insurance, you are fucking yourself up, dude. Get a dog, get the dog insurance, and then if they get diarrhea, you can just take them. Thank God I have that, or I would be broke and homeless. You guys ready for your day in music? Well, guess what? It's July 15th, and in 1986, the city of El Cerrito, California, declared this day to be John Fogarty Day in honor of one of their hometown heroes, and you will see how that ties in to the record. If you've never heard of this band, Wire, then you're like me. And you're like a lot of people. This is the one band that is so influential, and yet nobody knows about it. This album came out November 77. It is the debut by Wire. Wire is made up of Colin Newman on vocals, Graham Lewis on bass and vocals, Robert Go-To-Bed-Gray on the drums, and Bruce Gilbert on guitar. Now, a lot of punk bands were releasing albums in 77. Sex Pistols, Clash, The Jam, Talking Heads, Suicide, Television, The Damned, Dead Boys, The Stranglers, and Elvis Costello. But there was something different about Wire. 
because a lot of punk bands were playing faster and louder, but Wire's roots came out of pub rock tradition, and they threw it back to the bluesy guitar riffs, horny teenage lyrical subjects, and exaggerated machismo of the golden age of rock and roll. Even though this band had very primitive skills, they knew that they didn't want to sound like anything that came out in the 50s. So what did they do? They turned it closer to psychedelic pop of the 60s. And I'm telling you guys, Wire's music is even more of a modern reinvention of music. This band pieced together their sound from what they liked and what they didn't like around them. They appreciated the Sex Pistols' absurdity, their sense of humor, they loved the speed of the Ramones, and the Buzzcocks, but they were intrigued by David Bowie and Brian Eno's cold, angular, arty German period. Throwing a little R&B so they got the connections to the Clash and the Jam. Wire was ahead of their time. And as Johnny Marr from the Smiths put it, they weren't a late-arriving punk band, they were an early-arriving post-punk band. And when Wire made this record in 1977, They had only been together for six months. And what do you get? You get 21 fucking rebellious songs in under 36 minutes. And without Wire, you're not getting The Cure. You're not getting Nirvana. You're not getting Minor Threat. You're not getting Block Party, the shit I used to dance to at Tax Low. And you know what other band you're not getting? Minutemen. Remember last week when we did Double Nickels on the Dime? Oh, yeah, you do. Because guess what? Our guest today is the bassist for Minutemen, the one and only Mike Watt. He is the bassist for Minutemen, Dose, Firehose. He played for the Stooges for 10 years. The dude's written two books, Spiels of a Minuteman and Mike Watt on and off bass. Guys, this is what the show is about. This episode right here is what the 500 is about plain and simple love for the album finding out cool shit about the guest and just us understanding music and what's so cool about this episode is that not only are we talking about wire it's a follow-up to double nickels on the dime you're getting a dual episode so if you're a fan of either one of these bands you are getting wang zuki supreme rate review and most importantly subscribe to the 500 on all platforms If you are listening on Apple, please leave us a review and give us a five-star rating. Pause the podcast and do it now. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group, The 500 Podcast with Jam, and The 500 Podcast fan page. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well... Nothing left to say, but uh, here we go. We're number 412 out of 500 with Pig Flag by Wire. So wait, I want to ask you this because last week we did Minutemen Double Nickels on the Dime, which is 
out of the the eighty some odd records that we've done so far on this podcast, I, I have to tell you this, and I'm not just kissing your ass. It completely blew me away. It is genre destruction. It's the idea that you can just call this that a punk record is like. It is so much more than that, and I, I thank you for being a part of that, and I thank you for coming on. Well, you know, it fits, uh, it fits our definition of punk. We thought punk was not a style of music. It was a state of mind. Yes. So uh, the styles and the motifs and the shit you're talking about, yeah, that was up to each band. So it wasn't a beats per minute thing or even funny clothes or funny names. I mean, that stuff all helped, but it wasn't the definer. It was all about trying to find a parallel universe because arena rock was too much a Nuremberg rally. <laughs> I know you're... you're talking about cats that really didn't grow up with clubs. Now, yeah. you know, I did 125 months with the Stooges. So I know about the 60s having regional bands, little labels, garage bands, clubs, all this. But understand me, D. Boom, Georgie, we're, we're 13 in 1970. All we know is arena rock. So, like somebody once said, the only thing new is you finding out about it. Uh, That's yeah, actually what punk is. You know, punk was a guy who got fucked in jail for cigarettes. We couldn't believe that someone would want to call their music. <laughs> but then when we saw it, we went to a Bags gig. This guy, Pedro, it was actually a drummer for the Weirdos, Nicky B. And he said there was, get this, I'll show you how fucked up those days were. Yeah, tell me. We graduated high, San Pedro High in 1976. We're with our buddy, me and D. Booner with our buddy Mark Weiswasser trying to, you know, copy Tie Your Mother Down off a of Queen record. And, and the Nicky Beat walked by, came out to take a breather, and he said, you know, there's a scene up in Hollywood where people write their own songs. No shit. That's all. No one in Pedro wrote their own. You know, the best guy in Pedro on electric guitar was the guy who could play Black Dog the best. The music wasn't about expression. So when we got hit with this movement, not only could I see the bass had four strings because they were bigger, but, you know, you could see the germs and then they get done and the guy next to you is on stage and then there's Pat, you can talk to Pat Smear, Darby. Yeah. It's just a whole different thing. And, and uh, you know, it's, music was something that me and D Boone did to be with each other. And then there's a scene that's open enough to let us let the freak flag fly. Are you let it fly, bro? There was a lot of luck. I think there was a lot of uh, tangents, things running into each other. We were in the right place at the right time. With you know, I'm not saying we're geniuses, but part of the, this collection of coincidences was this album from England called Pink Flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Tell me about. Tell me about the first time you heard Wire Pink Flag. Okay, there was a record store. There's a record store. The, 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 you know that Pedro, we're the west part of the harbor. North part is Wilmington. And so we're both part of Los Angeles politically. Yeah. But the east part of the harbor, that's Long Beach. You know, Snoop Dogg. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway, after high school, I, I went to college at Cal State Long Beach for electronics. And on the way was a record store this guy ran with his mother called Zed of London. Mike Zed and his ma. And they had imported records during the hippie things, you know, like uh, Tangerine Dream and Klaus Schulz, you know, stuff that wasn't in the licorice pizza or the warehouse. They could order it for you. and so. But they, they had the ends on the first punk records that were coming out of England. And so, you know, nobody 
wrote about these bands. We didn't know about these bands. They Now, they had their own papers. I remember at Long Beach State, in the library, you could see them. They were called uh, Melody Maker and Sounds and New Music Express. And so you could read something about them kind of there. But, I mean, you didn't really know what they were like, okay, or anything. But the things were, the singles were two bucks. But this was an album. This was different. And there wasn't a lot of punk albums yet, right? Since yeah. 1977. And there was a warning uh, stamped on it saying there, there might be cussing. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know, what does that mean? <laughs> I want to get it, right? Yeah, I mean, that's like, so, give and, me more uh, of it. You, know, you look at the back, it had all four of the guys, a picture of each guy in the band. It, it didn't really tell you a lot. One thing that was strange was the amount of songs. Like, how do they got 21 songs on here? Yeah. Now, we had, you know, our, our punk was two ways. It was these trippy records we knew nothing about at Zeta London's. And then it was the gigs in Hollywood where people actually played for you. And gigs were 20 minutes long and people pogoed. And yeah, I mean, it was way different than arena rock. But it, it was it was also it was as unpredictable as Zeta London being with the records. But they were live gigs. And so they're, they're kind of two different worlds, but they both worlds were important to us. This is what helped make men. And so Wire never came and played until 1987 to like 10 years later. And they, they wouldn't play any of this stuff. It was like they were into dance music by then. Yeah. So we only knew them by, the, by these records. And all, there was a lot of bands like this, so the pop group, you know, huge influence, you know, the, and some of these ideas were so, uh, fundamental and simple. You know, let's make the format of the tunes, whatever. When we're done, we're done. Yes. Uh, you don't have to do verse, chorus, verse. Uh, the pop group, you know, let's take Parliament Funkadelic and put it with Cat B Fart. Why fucking not? Yeah. You know, all these, see, what we found out was if the Berlin Wall was something physical and you could just take a hammer to it, when the reality is they're in our fucking heads. Well, that's the problem. And it took us something like this movement of like guys not even know how to play, but wanting to express themselves to shake us out of this idea that there was these certain kind of rules that you had to do certain things to make things happen. I mean, we, I mean, this got so intense on us that we decided, me and D-Boom were talking once, well, let's divide the whole world into two categories. Okay. There's flyers and there's gigs. And everything that ain't a gig is a fl- because going to see a punk gig at a club really ignited something in our minds about the value of a gig, about work in the room. Yeah. You know, I remember when Arena Rock and shit, you know, after the thing, uh positive thing you could, hey man, it was just like the record. It yeah. probably was the fuck. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, they just pushed right? by. You're so far away. There's so much motor smoke you couldn't see. Yeah, it was just yeah a joke. But man, when you went to a club and it was not like the record, it was much, much, much different. Nothing wrong with records. In fact, what we did to uh, make the record experience, like I said, we didn't know about any of these bands. We picked it by the way the album cover looked or the. 45 sleeve or the name of the band yeah wire you know maybe some stimulant involved you sure. know that was figuring in our life you know speed row 
Sands. <laughs> Still is, I think, right? Fact, like we're going to get into these tunes. There's a there's a tune on there called Champs near the end. Yeah, and I think they deal with that subject. I think they call it Sulfy or something. They would uh, guys. Would, you know, I got to meet these guys later on. But but anyway, gigs and flyers. So everything that wasn't the gig, because it seemed what these bands did at their at their show, like watch the Bags or the Germs or the Dills, and they. There was nothing between them and you, you know? Yeah. It, there was, uh, okay, there was the door guy, but, uh, you know, after you paid him, you know, there was hardly any control, you know, as far as the band connecting with the people. So we thought that was the most real deal was the gig. So everything else was a flyer to get people to the gigs. Now, what we did to really accentuate our the record experience was we wouldn't, we buy these you know, we're all from working things. So different points. We were working two, three jobs each, Georgie, myself, D Boone. And so we'd have to wait till we'd have time off. And then we'd eat L and listen to these records for the first time and not know what was going to come up. It totally trip balls and you lose your brain. I mean, we'd have to lay on a deck to listen to these things. Yeah. Imagine listening to the first Cabaret Volt Terror album and not knowing what's coming and you're tripping balls. <laughs> I didn't. I saw a couple gigs, a Germs gig, an Einstein and Neubauten gig, but mo mostly I did the L stuff uh, with records at the safety of the pad laying on, on my back. But I mean, the whole idea of a gig or music being an event, something to wake up, want to wake up and be alive for. Music, you know, because say it was something that me and D Boone did to be with each other before. But then when we get involved with the movement, it's just, it just, it, it grabs us and we can't let go. Yeah. And then we thought this ain't a really a kind of a, you know, like I said, velvet, no velvet rope thing. If you're going to be on board, you got to bring some. Yeah. You know, I remember... Joey Ramone telling me, yeah, it's like a big hay wagon. If you got something, jump on, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's, sometimes I have people ask me, man, you don't sound like uh, some of them punk bands of those days. But we thought that was the point. You were, Everybody was supposed to be, I mean, we're born, if you look at your thumbprint, or we need these artistic things to like kind of prove it to each other. But, you know what I mean? There's this other tendency for humans to want to be big herd animals. On the other hand, uh, yeah, then we use these arts and expressions to prove to each other that, yeah, we're a little bit different. But then we have so much in common, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a trip. It's a, a, a dozens of dangling dualities uh, involved with this kind of crap. But, I mean, when, once you get caught up with it, and, and, and also this idea where you, you're taking turns. You're, you're belonging to a community that takes that wants to take turns. That was not arena rock uh Aesthetic, I use that word aesthetic. Yeah, arena rock is just we're the shit, and uh, yeah, no, and no one else is on our level. Yeah, it's a telephone part. Uh, it's a telephone without a talking part. Yes. Yeah, you just pick it up, and yeah, what do you want me to do? <laughs> so, so that, that, that's where we're coming from. Then we we put on this this record, okay? Okay. Uh, you know, like I said, first time, right? We're on L and tripping balls, and it's insane. And, uh, one of the things about it is that guys sing like they talk, which was not our experience with bands from England, like the who 
and Led Zeppelin and stuff. They they use accents. These guys, they they you know, a lot of them did that that, that first jam records like that. Uh, the Clash, right? These guys are singing in the the way they talk. Yes. That then then the slang. You know, we don't know what half these fucking words that they're using mean. I mean, you know, some of it we do, but some of it we don't or just got to imagine. Now, they had written out the words, but they didn't write. You know, most records, when they wrote out the words, it was like a little sing-along chart. These guys, they wrote it like in paragraph form. And if you ever look at Minutemen words, that's, you know, total uh, influence from those guys. Because to us, what D. Boone said, he said, you know, in a way, it's like you go into an art gallery and the description of the painting is bigger than the painting. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because D. Boone, you know, th- that was another trippy thing about the Minutemen. He thought the political part of the band was the way he organized the rhythm section versus the guitar. Because he thought lyrics was just thinking out loud. And, uh, of course, this is what guys in England think out loud about. <laughs> Whatever the fuck it is, you know. Whatever the pink flag is, we our our we we finally figured out the pink flag was probably about that um, insurrection in in Hungary. Yeah, the Soviet, and actually it's where my ma and my pop met at a refugee dance in Chicago. I was conceived at one of these things. So the pink flag kind of goes at a, at a dance. Wait, at a dance. So wait, your dad, your dad and mom, they're doing the mashed potato and fucking. Is that what you're saying? She told me the address. I was helping the Stooges make that weirdness. Yeah, oh, I remember. I remember. And I borrowed Steve Albini's bicycle, and I rode there, and I called my mom. She goes, "Michael Watt, you were conceived in that apartment." No shit. So, well, you know, yeah. You're you're 40 now. When you get a little, you and your mom will talk about shit like this as you get less younger. Oh, I, but no, she was she was pretty open when I was in my 20s. She was like, "Yep, that's where me and your father used to fuck." I was like, "Jesus, mom." <laughs> yeah. But but I, I mean, this, these are things when we heard that. But this idea of a song being a journey. Now we kind of got this with Blue Blue Oyster Cult. I mean, there's some stuff especially off of their second album, Terry Mutation, songs like Seven Screaming Dizbusters. I, ha- I talked to somebody about this a couple weeks ago. Sort of. It's it's uh, one of these internet shows. It's called That that Album Got Me High. <laughs> and, you know, album two was really influenced. But the thing where the similarity was, they the songs are journeys. They didn't have to prescribe to some kind of formula. Like we go from this part to that part to this part, and now we're done. Yeah. And that's all you, you know what I mean? Like a good recipe. What what I, what I love about, what I love about wire is I found this little like uh, thing that uh, the lead singer said basically about, they were just obsessed with the beginning and the endings of the songs. And so the shorter songs just kind of just came together. Cause like we start with this, we end with this. And, and if it feels done, if it feels done, it's done. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can relate something to you. Please. Dealing with that. This is when uh, the, the, the kind of the last stage of the, uh, tenure I did with the Stooges, right? It's with James Williamson. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a, a gig, one of the first ones with him coming back after Ronnie passed away. 
and Ig were in France, and he's talking about when you're running a show, when you're working a room, live gig. And he says, you know, a tune in front of people is kind of like a sandwich. And if you got two good pieces of bread, by that he means a beginning and an end that's good and tight. Mm-hmm. Like you can have a fucking stronzo in between there, and it's okay. I love that. I fucking love that, dude. <laughs> well, man, I mean, that guy's work ethic, you know, it's all about vaudeville. It's beautiful. It's like he really believes in working for people, uh, expression, music, you know, a gig. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not sleepwalking to him. It's not connecting dots. Oh, he's or, not a flyer. Just, no, he's he's a gig. He's 100% a gig, not a flyer. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> well, like uh, Scotty, you know, the drummer, he said, you know, he's a shower. He ain't a grower. Yeah. No, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is that was kind of his thing, you know, about it. And I learned off that in the Wire guys, I mean, that Read and Burn book, you weren't aware of that, but this guy, uh, God, what's his name? Mr. Nash. I think his last name is, but uh, they go into this thing really deep, you know, and, and if you're obsessed with the record and heard it billions of times to know the little details, it's incredible. Here, here's something, you know, because you guys asked me to do this. I went and refreshed myself with about 2000 listens last night. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, lo- <laughs> I love that. You deserve that. Oh, dude. But you know what, what, what I never realized when I heard it back in 77. What's that? They were a two guitar band. Yeah. Because, well, when you look on the back of the album, Colin don't have a guitar. So I'm thinking, well, maybe overdubbing shit. But if you look at any of the YouTube, like there's a great rock palace of a whole gig of them in, in Bonn, Germany, in late 70s. Yeah, I, I think I watched that. I think I just watched that on YouTube. He's got a a tie he looks like the man at work dude no way yes and and the and the best thing about it is that the band wire is ripping and the audience is so german and dull with just these like shitty golf claps and you're like motherfucker they just gave you a 30 second ripper and you're sitting there like you have jaundice well they they got more wild later. they got more wild later yeah but they're sitting there yeah but there's some hilarious johnny thunder things up in in sweden same kind of thing. They're sitting around. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's okay. You know, people <laughs> have to learn about it. But but what I didn't realize, they were a two-guitar band. And when I listened last night to all this Pink Flag, uh, yeah, you could definitely hear the two guitar parts that mm-hmm. Colin and Bruce. And the other thing, it's, it's hard to realize that three of them, Colin, Graham, and Robert, they're like 10 years younger than Bruce. Yeah. They're huge age different. And that's why, you know, they've got a new guy. Well, he's been there 10 years now named Matt because Bruce is just, you know, a little less young. He's old. Yeah. 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 We don't use that word. We, we use more. He's experienced. He's experienced. Yeah. Is that better? Less young. Less he's young. less young. He's, he's less experience. young. Yeah. He's experienced. Oh, <laughs> he's oh. I mean, these are things you don't know, but do you really have to know them when when it's coming out of the speakers? 
You know, I was telling you 106 beats that is the number of fucking stops. Do you do you have to know this to really like the stuff? No, I mean, I, I didn't know that. And, I, and it's just like you just if you this record is so and I'm, this is such a dumb word I'm about to say feelable like you just you put it on and it's just immediately because I didn't know what to expect. And you open with Reuters and I'm just like, holy shit, this came out in 77. This sounds more. This sounds. This sounds. This sounds more relevant than some of the rock music that's coming out now. That's a news service, right? Yeah, uh, Reuters is the international news agency based in London, uh, and it's basically Wire was trying to avoid political lyrics, but the whole song is basically a war reporter witnessing and commenting on the atrocities atrocities in some crumbling society or civilization, and it's just dark, dude. Yeah. But you know, there's a pop group song called Amnesty Report, and the singer is just reading a list of tortures. Yes. I mean, the guy's literally, yeah, these are the lyrics. And I think, you know, in that in that period in, in England, they were trying to, uh, I don't know, make things that made sense to them, you know, and, and instead of just idioms and just repeating cliches they wanted uh not like it was more important or something but i i don't know some kind of substance thing i think that's where they were at uh you know uh, before they didn't have songwriting credits it was like kind of a group thing now you can tell who wrote what yeah oh no for sure dude Hey everybody, so you guys have probably heard me talk about how I've been in bands my whole life. Uh, I love writing songs and performing in front of crowds. Uh, just like with comedy, as a musician, it can be kind of hard to cut through the noise and really stand out as an artist. I feel like half the music projects I've been in have ended just because we couldn't figure out the answer to that eternal question of how do we get people to hear us? But then again, that was before there was DistroKid. DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that brings your sound to the masses. It's a one-stop shop for getting your songs on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many more. What's Deezer? I've never even heard of Deezer. How many of them are there? I know all that that's like the holy grail of streaming services though. And and getting paid. They want to we want to get you paid for your music. That's huge because a lot of bands go broke before they get big. But DistroKid collects earnings and payments and sends 100% of these earnings to artists minus banking fees and applicable taxes. And that's just one of the tons of benefits of using DistroKid. You can send big files to anyone with their instant share feature. You can use the hyperfollow feature to promote your release and get pre-saves on your song. You can even create personal landing pages for yourself, your band, your brand, and whatever you like. It has a free Spotify canvas generator too to generate your own Spotify canvas for your songs. And the Mixia feature instantly masters your tracks for higher quality audio. So if you're ready, to bring your band to the next level, it's time to check out DistroKid. The DistroKid app is now available on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. Listeners of this show can get 30% off their first year by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the 500. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash the 500 for 30% off your first year. Dig it. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, here, I wanted to do that because this is what I wanted to play. So so here, Peter, play just a little bit of Rooters for me because I, I want to talk about this for a second. This is your So this is 1977. They've got me singing rape, like screaming rape the way, because this is just, it's so singable. It's such a fucking catchy song. Dark as fuck. But this is what I wanted to play, Mike. One, one chord, too. One chord. Oh, yeah. You know, there was a band there. In fact, they're still around in SoCal. They're called the Urinals. And Minutemen love the Urinals. And the urinals really got into this wire thing. That you know, these guys, they they ended up having a, a trippy aesthetic. It was really interesting, you know. And of course, the best thing that if you really admire somebody, okay, you're influenced. Actually, for us, we were using their short song because Reuters, for one, for example, is not a short song. There's four songs on this album that are not short. Reuters. The title song, Pink Floyd, uh, Pink Floyd, Pink Flag. <laughs> it's funny because a big uh, band on this label, Harvest uh, EMI, was Pink Floyd. Yeah. By the way, they also the, the their album covers helped fund uh, Throbbing Gristle, Hypnosis. Huh. Believe it or not, Pink Floyd helped out some of the underground punk underground. Uh, no shit. But there's uh yeah yeah their their money went into Industrial Records uh, the 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 prism with the rainbow and uh, the man on fire shaking the other man's hand. Oh, wow. That's a company called Hypnosis. And they, uh, Sleazy, one of the synthesizer players for Throbbing Gristle, worked for those guys. It's trippy. Tango web we weave, you know. But it, but anyway, uh, they're strange. And then uh, the lowdown. So there's actually four long songs. Uh, strange, I think, is the longest one. It's almost four minutes. Yeah. But, you know, it, uh, what Minuteman was doing by using their their short song, we were really embarrassed of knowing Blue Oyster Cult and Creedence before. Like, these punk rockers seemed more pure to us. They just started learning when they found out, you know, where we had uh, learned off copying records and shit. So we thought using this real severe format People wouldn't know that we were all polluted by this, the old, the, the, the regime before yeah. <laughs> or something. So that's where we, we, we looked at wire. But when, then a couple years later, me and D Boone went and we had a big discussion over this record and what we really dug, especially the end of side one, I mean, side two, before they get to what the way the songs fit together, they're sequenced. Perfect. Oh my God. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Like, somebody, yeah, uh, what is this feeling, you know, uh, called love and 
and fragile and and mannequin. They're kind of almost the same song, but they're not. And what it made us think of was off the first Who album. There's a opera called uh, A Quick One While He's Away, mm-hmm. and that in a way that's what they did. Wire was making a whole album. They weren't making. Even though, you know, they did shit like Outdoor Minor, you know, these perfect uh, singles. Yeah. Dot Dash. Somehow this wasn't like that. This was like an album. This was a journey. This was like, you know, Kraftwerk, you know, where the Autobahn was one whole side. I I found out later it wasn't. It was all these different things that that Connie Plank guy sewed all together. And uh, also, uh, what was the big hit for Edgar Winter? Frankenstein. You know why it's called that? That was like some 40 minute prog piece that got all cut up you know, with a fucking drum solo yeah. on AM radio. Right. Yeah. Bah, 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 bah. You know, every high school junior high band I knew in those days was playing that thing. And and so wire was doing it by actually performance, not with tape. I mean, the Mike Thorne guy, the producer guy, not, uh, you know, there's two records after this chairs missing in one fifty four, mm-hmm. and they all three kind of fit together. And and he's a big part of him. He's like the fifth member. But uh, on this one here, I think it's 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 the band. It's really the band. Also, I don't think the band is they're they're together as a four piece. I think they kind of split into two camps after this. If you read the book, you get that kind of sense too. God, I gotta get this like book, bro. Ram and Bruce on one side, and, and and Robert and Colin on the other side. But. They really are a band here. And you can tell that they're doing gigs, right? They're on that Live at Roxy record. They do two of the songs. I don't know if you're aware of that, but that was a real early record in, in the movement. And but what's weird, if you read back on interviews with Wire, they're always wasting all this energy saying that they're not part of the punk movement. That's the thing that blows my mind about Wire, is that if you look at the music that came out in 1977, you had... And these are all debuts. The the Sex Pistols, The Clash, The Jam, Talking Heads, Suicide, Television, The Dam, Dead Boys, The Stranglers, and Elvis Costello. Some of those records are some of the most important albums made in the it's in the since music came out and are considered quote unquote punk. But Wire is doing post punk before punk became punk. Do you get you know what I'm saying? Kind of. I mean, it gets a little bit a semantic question of jargon, you know, in some ways. Please. I'm, I'm not so embarrassed. I'll tell you what's a more embarrassing word, fucking alternative or new wave. Yes. I mean, those are even more words, okay? Uh, I mean, what's the alternative to music? Silence? I mean, it's so fucking <laughs> and yet, and now, and I've told people to watch out. Look who uses that word now. These fucking Nazis and shit, yeah. right? Yeah, you're right. Oh, right. I told you to watch out for that word. That's a loaded fucking word. You know, people were embarrassed. Look, they had stickers on, on records of safety pins. I can, um, yeah, it was fucking embarrassing. Okay. Yeah. But there's been enough time and space and, you know, Wire plays those old songs now. In fact, the book, about it being a mistake that they stopped playing those songs. They're new music rips, dude. Like I, I listened to oh, yeah. their, their oh, yeah. latest oh, yeah. album that I, came I'm about twenty years ago. Yeah, they started playing the, the, this the Pink Floyd. Do you know that the first time they came over, they had a band with a music critic. It was called 
X Lion Tamer, the name of one of the songs on the Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they did the whole Pink Floyd yeah. uh, Pink Flag album. Dude, you're you're literally you're li- I have that uh, that's one of my facts at the end that I was going to bring up, so I love this. So all the listeners, you just you know, in 87, a wire obsessed rock critic put together a tribute band like he said, the X Lion Tamers for the express purpose of playing the entire album note for note. And this is how dope Wire is and it has such a great sense of humor they have that they had them as their opening act for the whole tour so they didn't have to play any of the old shit and they could just concentrate on the newer shit. Yeah, like bingo, uh, bingo, or uh, kidney beans, or kidney bingo, or grill, <laughs> or stuff like that. They talk about that where uh, in the book, but Robert's go to bed is like, uh, by the way, that's his real name. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, they're trying to, because it's the beginning of MIDI and pewters, and they're trying to get these sequencers, and they're wasting so much time in the studio. He ends up quitting the band. Yeah. He comes back. But, uh, you know, look, I think Wire, in some ways, stumbled onto something that, you know, and a lot of times when we're younger men, more younger, we don't realize, right? To, what's it? Don't know what you got till it's gone. Yeah. You know, paved down. Put up a parking lot. Where the fuck? <laughs> you know, you got <laughs> it. You got it. It's broken, but you got it. You don't realize, right? Yeah. And it doesn't mean... You know, you're a bad guy. It's just like, you know, it takes a life to live, right? Yes. Yeah. So the real uh, good cats in, in, a, in a way. But yeah, all this energy into like, oh, we weren't part of the punk. We're not part of these guys. We're not. When you know the way arts are and stuff, uh, you don't have to be in a strict hierarchy. In fact, that kind of makes it worse. If things are just bumping in, what's it called? Fuzzy logic. You know, things are just bumping yeah. into each other. And they're kind of influencing without totally, you know, you know what I'm saying, t- uh, taking orders or giving orders. It's just this uh, confluence of kind of different trips going on, right? Mm-hmm. Just like, uh, you know, I'll give you a million uh, examples, but there's got to be some kind of like autonomy, you know, between the little creative groups or you get too much uh, hive mind, right? Mm-hmm. So... It's it's funny about that 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 kind of thing. You you, you want to be close enough, especially to inspire each other, but not to become fucking rubber stamp and cookie cutter Xerox shit of each other. I mean, that's when it's over, right? I remember I was doing some Warp Tour gigs, and the, the it was the swing thing, and the guy about a year later, one of the guys in the band, he's he was dressed up New York Dolls, and well, what happened to the Mike, when they make the gap ad, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I told so then, then I gotta ask. Then I have to. Then I have to ask you this. I have to ask you this because you said that is because. So going going back into double nickel on the dime. Um, when when Corona came on, immediately I was like, holy shit, that's the jackass theme. And had no idea that the rest of the song was so perfectly beautiful. And honest to God, it was like I was mad that the jackass people didn't play some of the lyrics because it changes that whole meaning of once you hear that because you just, you didn't, I had no idea that was coming. So how did you feel having having the jackass people take Corona and make it as their theme song. I don't consider it selling out at all because jackass is so punk rock, but like how, how does, how did, yeah. How did you, how did you interpretate that as an artist? Mike Jones, Mike Jones uh, gave me a VHS of the pilot. Nice. <laughs> you know, the deep killed, right? Yeah. Yeah. And his dad got bad emphysema at this point. 
and this was a way that D Boone could help his pop because he wrote the song. It's a D Boone song. So all the royalties went to, to his father. This was a way he could help. Oh, I love that so much. And when I watched the pilot, you know, this guy you know, poured shit or turned upside down and get tasered in the balls and shit like this. <laughs> Great comedy. Really going on. <laughs> Just solid comedy. And I had I had already made a couple videos with Spike Jones uh for, for, for my first opera, yeah. Liberty Calls. Mm -hmm. And also I did one for uh Piss Bottle Man and Big Train from my wrestling record. Can I just tell you something? You might have the greatest names in song history. Piss Bottle might be my favorite fucking thing ever because I live I live that in my old apartment. <laughs> that was my I have a song with I have a song with my old band called Two Jugs of Piss because I had to share a bathroom, but I had to go through my roommate's room to use the bathroom. So I used to just pee in these milk jugs. And then we sang about it and the audience hated it. But it was a comedy show, so they'd go fuck themselves. Still one of my finest songs ever. <laughs> I took the music from Pictures of Lily because that was about Pete Townsend's pop helping him out with the titty magazine or something. So this is kind of like that, but different. But you know, it was it was really coming together. But when I showed it to Edward, uh, Firehose, yeah. he was like, Michael, you think this is the kind of song for this kind of band? And that was kind of the starting of me uh, this idea where maybe I should have a proj for each trip, you know? Yeah. Because with D Boone, all my music went through D Boone. Mm -hmm. And Firehose kind of was an extension of the Minutemen, right? I only knew one way to really make a band. So, in a way, th that moment, like Edward saying, you know, maybe that song ain't right for us, I started thinking, well, maybe I got to try, you know, to be a, a rudder man. Mm hmm. Uh, a real a guy who puts projects, uh, bands around projects and not try to put everything. So that was so hard for Edward, you know, for seven and a half years, he, I never tried to do it, but I could see the situation, put him, him in D Boone's shoes. And, you know, that, that was a, a weird thing. That was so, such a hard thing to, to keep doing music without D Boone was really hard. I owe Edward so much. Yeah. And Georgie too, of course. 14 years with Georgie, but Edward and having to take, put up with that stuff, people always comparing him. Wasn't right. Yeah. I, both those guys. I owe a lot. That was a, a hard part of my life. My whole music world. That was the hardest. Was, was, you know, I thought you get back on the saddle, right? And just keep going. And at first I yeah. Well, that's what I wanted. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you this because you and I have a very, very similar history in the sense that your situation with D Boone losing D Boone the way that you did back in 2012 uh me and my best friend Angelo Bowers who was my comedy writing partner like my brother and uh we were driving to a to uh, leaving a gig driving to go get food and a drunk driver ran a red light hit my car killed my friend I almost died and everything I've done since including this podcast is honoring the 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 life of Angelo Bowers because he was that important to me and I don't think I would be where I am if it wasn't for the things that he said and the comedy that he taught me and the lessons on enjoying life 
So, because I wanted, because I wanted to ask you, because I I had to deal with drugs, and I had to deal with with starting to once I got sober to starting to create these these like these projects, like the goddamn comedy jam was because of Angelo. The podcast was because of Angelo. How did how did you like get out of that crippling depression after you lost D Boone? Well, I didn't know that you had to pay to not have your phone number in the phone book. So Edward literally found me in the phone book and called me up and I'm coming over. Mm-hmm. And this guy shows up at the hatch with fucking, you know, bleached hair and U2 and REM albums. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. He drove his parents car. I bought him his first name. He was a trumpet player at Ohio state. He had an electric guitar. But I bought him his first amp, and I just said, Georgie, if this guy's got the fucking nerve, let's try it. Georgie said, okay. So I don't think I was ready, but you know what I mean? Sometimes the sitch, sitch yeah. right? It just says, there's Edward. He's he's ready to play, man. Yeah. I built, uh, I got, uh, you know, I'm, at this point, I lived in a one-room uh, thing. It actually had one outlet. This place was built before electricity. So when they put in electricity, put one fucking outlet. Jesus. I, I went and got lumber from the alley and back, and I built a big-ass desk. I said, Edward, you can conk under here. Yeah. A little one room. I just I just was really amazed by his, uh, I don't know, chutzpah. Ooh, you know nice I mean? just, Yiddish word. Or, I wasn't expecting that today. <laughs> well, in uh, this racket, I mean, there's a lot of uh, yeah. tradition, showbiz, like we were talking about Ig working the room and stuff. Yeah, dude, yeah. you knew I was Jewish. You knew a lot, it. <laughs> a lot of the show, showbiz talk ha- has these Kvetch, Cavell, you know, all this. Oh, kind you of got stuff. it, dude. You know, not just Flamiel, but the Schlemizer, right? Oh, yeah, dude. Not just the guy who spills the soup, but the guy who gets the soup spilled on uh-huh. it. I just love this idea uh, of, 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 you know, dealing with it. Dealing with it, and when, uh, especially if you're from Econo background, we jam Econo isn't just a slogan. <laughs> I mean, it's a, really a way of doing things. And that's something that the movement showed us. Number one, it's about people. The old days was about people. I think the new days are about people, too, just like you talking about your buddy there. Yeah. The, the idea of, the, of the, the people, people in your life, people you lose in your life. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you got any kind of sensitivity, this is going to have a bearing on your expression, I think. Yeah. Otherwise, what is it? Just following fucking formulas and, 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 and uh, recipes and, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? Just sleepwalking and, and not, you know, it's got to be about more than that. Well, you know, you I like I I have to I have to look at losing Angelo as at the time it was the worst thing that ever happened to me, but also now 8 years later I can look back and be like, man, that like Angelo passing was was the like this beautiful thing that made me appreciate life and made me appreciate what I was doing and made me appreciate the other friends that I had and and Ange isn't gone just like D Boone's not gone it's like his music lives on Angelo's comedy lives on and the lessons that he taught everybody lives on and it's like and by doing this podcast it's like I'll do this until we until May 31st 2028 so I can finish every record because Ange would have wanted me to do that 
and it's it's beautiful. It's like, but that's the only way you can look at it. Because if I still just was like, it's the worst thing, it's the worst thing, it's the worst thing, then then I wouldn't be able to leave my apartment, and I would just be, you know, I probably would have killed myself with drugs years ago, you know. So it's you got to find the beauty. You got to find the beauty in the horror because it's it's that's what life is. It's it's like you said, it's the shlemiel and the shlemazel. It's like the yin and the yang. And 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 making sense out of that to form expression. And and the whole idea of a band too, it's more than one guy. Even, you know, if you're the rudder guy, you know, like if I put my name in the band name, I just want you to know who to blame. It's about taking turns. And whenever you make an ensemble, you, you know, like Wire, they were making interesting conversations. Now, now the way my mind was working, oh, this is a band. But actually, it was four dudes. Yeah. You know? And in a way, it's like what we were trying to do with Minutemen and what the urinals were trying to do with the urinals and, you know, the germs doing with the germs. But on the other hand, not exactly the same. Because, you know, that would be kind of lame. Yeah, very lame. (laughs) We're all... You know, I Love Lucy reruns. You know, this week it's pizza. Next week it's mayonnaise. I mean, Jesus. But on the other hand, and like, wow, they're going to end the song here. Okay, they're going to end the song here. They're going to start it here. There's not one fucking guitar solo on that record. I mean, there's some kind of chord solos where they play one chord a little stronger, but there's like no... It's almost antithesis of what me and D. Boone, you know, D. Boone, right? right? He calls himself D. Boone because E. Bloom played stun guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the fuck is stun guitar? (laughs) These guys, I mean, you know what I mean? It's something that you thought was so pounded into the ground, they reinvented for themselves. And why couldn't we do the same? Yeah. Just like going to the thrift store. And that's just the beginning of your outfit. That's not the end of your outfit. That's the beginning. How are you going to like pin it together? And what, what are you going to write on it? And I remember having Richard Hell on my radio show and wanting to talk about the clothes. Don't ever ask him. He don't want to talk about the clothes. But we love the fucking clothes. Yeah. We love the clothes. You know, the first gig we saw, me and D Boone. What was that? T-Rex. Nice. We were 14 years old. We played Long Beach Auditorium here. And uh, yeah, he had some clothes. <laughs> some shoes. Why did he wear such like orthopedic shoes? Like in the documentary, you got D Boone wearing like, like, you know, Ben Franklin turnbuckle shoes or some shit. Yeah, we made that video. We made that video the same day we made This Ain't No Pick. You know, like I said, we split the universe into category into gigs and flyers. Yeah. So video flyer, everything was flyers to get people to the gig. Yeah. That thing cost $440. And then we made one. We had a gig that night with circle jerks. So we did ain't talk about love. We played it four times in a row. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, D boom found those Gucci shoes, some shit in a thrift store or something. And, you know, he could dance. I mean, that man could play guitar and sing and dance. And uh, Randy Johnson, the guy who made that video, he, he captured that, uh, but, you know, D. Boone is a weird mix between Buck Dharma, John Fogarty, and Mark Boland. Yeah. 
But why not? No. Why can't things be all trippy and weird like that? No, 100%. 100%. And you know, Dee Boone was an artist, right? He's painted and stuff like that. Come to find out, we found out the Wire guys were kind of artist guys. Yeah, but they look, they got that look. They look like they paint. <laughs> they look like they, you know... It's like, you know, it's like when the Beatles were fucking hanging. Who was that? Their first bassist, uh, Pete Best. Was it Pete Best? Oh, yeah. No, Stuart. Stuart Stuart Sutcliffe. One of those two motherfuckers that was like German and had his hair all German and kind of got them to look German, which is that whole Mott look or whatever they were doing. He had no idea to play. So, so yeah. So, Wire looks like that dude. You know, you guys just look like motherfuckers that I would hang out and see at the Long Beach Laugh Factory doing a set. You know what I mean? Maybe hanging out the Galleria. That's the weird thing about arts and stuff. It, it puts you together with strange kind of things. Yeah. You know, uh, you, you know, the whole, when I think about how all of it came together, it's like insane. You know, here we meet the Black Flag guys. They're, they're, they're handing out flyers. You know, the Clash finally decided to play here, so they're handing out flyers at the gig. Yeah. And we couldn't believe that these guys, I mean, they're from Hermosa Beach, 15 miles away, but that could be a whole nother universe from Pedro. And we couldn't believe that they were going to try to do a gig in Pedro, in the hood. Yeah. And they said, "What's why? Why, why is that weird? Because, you know, they ain't no punk rockers. We're the only punk rock. And they go, there's a punk band in Pedro? And we said, yeah, it's us. I said, will you open up? I mean, I think in a way it was like, maybe like uh, the hippie thing before Charlie Manson. You know, if you had long hair, just people just trusted you. You had balls to do that. Yeah. (laughs) We didn't know any of these guys. I mean, you would see the same hundred faces up in Hollywood every weekend, but you didn't really know these people. SoCal's like 150 towns. DC's probably like this, all the suburb. And then every... Buddy meets up in Hollywood, you know, with the fake name and the funny clothes. Yeah. Uh, we'll go to the crazy music. I mean, it was the weirdest way. I don't know the Valley. I don't know the Inland Empire or Orange County. Be glad you don't know the Inland Empire. That place is a fucking shithole. That, that, that empire has fallen. <laughs> Actually, it's like almost half Asian now. Yeah. There's a lot of immigrants. But, but. Uh, yeah, there's some parts, yeah, with the nooses and bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, fuck. What's what's that's more like Fontana and there's assholes everywhere, okay? But there's there's also my the point I was trying to make, Josh, was like I, I didn't really it, we're balkanized. You fly over, it looks like one big town, but we really don't know each other. Yeah. So what brought us together was this community. Why well, I know Schlemiel and Schlemeisel. I met cats. A lot of these guys, okay, they socially were kind of stunted, and you know, but they were deep into music. Talk to Don Bowles about fucking music. I mean, these are not the the even the Stooges, Ig with culture, Ronnie with history, Scotty with nature, Brother Steve with politics. I mean, these were not stupid people. The, the people I met in the movement, incredibly deep people. Okay, a little awkward in some ways, but the stereotype of a bunch of fucking thugs. That's bullshit. Yeah. It's, it's more misfits, I think. People just couldn't fit in with the... I got to tell you, 70s people were pretty narcissists. I mean, you wouldn't talk about music even five years old. Really? You know? 
Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, a kid, right, he's in the Black Sabbath. That's 45, 50-year-old band. Yeah. There was none of that shit. I remember that movie, Woodstock, right? Mm-hmm. Sha-na-na comes out. It was one of those midnight movies in Long Beach on Ocean Boulevard. And Sha-na-na comes out. People are like in the club, fuck this shit. That's my dad's music. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's only like 10, 15 years old. You're talking about some narcissist people. And, uh, but I think both punk and disco were reactions to this arena rock shit that was really narcissist. Like we, you know, all liking this one thing. It's just too weird. It's just too weird. So, you know, the way a, a farmer would tell you, if you want a good crop, use a lot of manure. Yeah. Like bring it motherfucker. Yeah. I mean, that's the 70s totally produced that movement. Which, which, you know, that movement actually goes back to fucking Walt Whitman, you know, putting out Leaves of Grass. He had to put that out himself. 1855, right? First edition. Yeah. So DIY, come on. That goes way fucking back. You know, the only thing new is you finding out about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the wire, but the finding out about it is important. Yeah, of course. And you being there to find out about it with your buddy. That's really important to, to, to make the new thing, right? Yeah. Right? The thing these guys, these outsiders are doing, then the way it affects you, and then you and your buddy come, come and taking that and making a third thing out of it. I think this is really uh, important stuff and keeps things from just getting stuck in the glass box in the freezer and, and keeps them alive. That's why... That's why punk can't be a style. It's got to be a state of mind. Yeah, let's talk about let's talk about the different styles that are on this record. And talk about a few of the tracks because you're making such a good point that I feel Wire's music on this record can back up. Like, so we open the album opens with Rooters, which I thought was going to be just straight. Like, this is the album. It's going to be this slow, dark fucking rock. Uh, and then you have something like, let's just play, dude, Peter, play a little bit of Field Day for the Sundays. I want to be a tongue for the day, so sure, pictures are made with a new look back sweet, so lacking a taste, touching in the white, looking the same as Monday morning, touching in the white, looking the same as Monday morning. I mean, that's, dude, that's the song. <laughs> that's 30, not even 30 yeah, seconds, also, dude. Also, okay, they got so only so much technique. But they make sure that you know it's a conversation. They've got these starts and these stops. They're talking to each other. They're listening to each other. Yeah. Uh, they they don't have to. Okay, the first tune has big chants, right? Right, especially rape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> a big chant. No chant in this song. In fact, what is a fucking Sunday? I found out later. It's some bullshit. You know, kind of like National Enquirer. Yeah, it's the shit. tabloids. Oh, it's it's the tabloids. Yeah. 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 And of course, you're going to end up limp as Monday morning with that shit. Yeah, for sure. Don't, don't, don't buy it. You know, fuck that shit. Uh, the very, you know, Wire supports very much critical thinking. <laughs> but that tune, you know, the way they're playing with each other, even though, yeah, they can't give you the uh, Mazorski pictures at an exhibition, but they can give you the feeling of that because they're playing together. They're making an interesting conversation. It's not like, hey, I see you at the finish line. And that that really struck us. You know, it's funny nowadays, I can meet people in music and rock and roll, especially rock and roll, because in the 70s, rock and rollers hated punk more than the square giants. These motherfuckers, you know, even though, you know, come on, Lil Richard, right? But yeah. no, 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 it's just kind of refined music, uh, 
technique world, right? And fuck you faggots. I mean, that's why you ended up playing a lot of ethnic calls and discos because of these fucking guys who thought they own the whatever it is, the franchise. <laughs> Rock and roll is an old uh, R&B word for sex anyway, right? It's Alan Freed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fucking jive motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, and then they want to run your fucking life. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. So f- field day for Sundays. I mean, th- yeah, there's no. There's no repeat course. There's no bridge. There's no, you go from here to here to here, here, and it's done. And then wham, it goes into this kind of Latin motif, three girl rumba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, set. yeah, play, play, Peter, play a little bit of three. This, because this is one of my favorite songs on the fucking record. Play a uh, little bit of three girl rumba. Now you ain't got a number. You just want to rumba. So, so check this shit out. So there's a song later on the album called Brazil because they thought the music sounded slightly Brazilian and then with their sense of humor, they decided to write this song like it was a transition of some Brazilian song. The song Brazil to me sounds like, we always thought it was like a cowboy song. Yes. Georgie always like, yeah, he would like mime like he was on a fucking horse with holding the bridle and hopping around whenever that song came on Brazil. <laughs> In fact, I can't tell you, you know, one thing like, I don't know if you guys, Dave Perner and yourself talked about this regarding double nickels on the dime, George Hurley's lyrics. Nobody talks about George Hurley's lyrics. Very influenced by wire. Now he had a job. He worked a lathe like four or five in the morning. He'd start. So a lot of these words he wrote, kind of subconsciously, you know, why he's like half awake. But uh, George Hurley was very uh, influenced by uh, Wire lyrics, if you ask me, probably more than any other band. And uh, he had a real good knack for that, Uh, this kind of surreal uh, type of thing. Uh, Another great segue, though, is after Three Girl Rumba into Ex-Lion Tamer. Yeah. For many years, I did this with my missing man. And a pair of pliers. I would play the, the, those two songs, Three Girl Rumba and Ex Lion Tamer, because, because, like I said, they seem like parts of the same, you know, and I ended up writing three operas. But it's all from this influence of The Who, right? With a quick one ways away. Happy Jack's the name of the album, first album. And, and, and they fit together like this. Now, I don't know if the band did it this way. It might have been Mike Thorne, the producer. I don't know. But some of these segues just make it like it's one big fucking song. You know you know how when you're driving, especially on tour, right? You have the bayou, the mountains, the beach, mm-hmm. the desert, all these things flying past the, the, the window, right? Mm-hmm. Right? It's a journey. And that's the way this Pink Flag album is. The, the way they sequence this motherfucker. It's just got all the right hills and valleys and terrain and landscape to keep you really involved and interested. 
You know what I mean? They never paint you into a rut. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you on that. This I don't know if they, I don't know if they, their intention was to make a concept record, but everything fucking flows from one track to the next, and because then you go from X Lion Tamer to one of my favorites on the record, we have Lowdown here. So Peter, play play just a little bit of X Lion Tamer real quick. <laughs> They push on the gas, and they don't fucking let off. But then what do they do? They bring you down with lowdown. Peter, play a little bit of lowdown. So X Lion Tamer to me is, is in a sense, I, wanna, I don't want to call it punk pop at all, but it's so accessible for hearing something after the few tracks that we had prior. And then you have Lowdown that takes it right back down to well, this, well, like... They do have the chanting chorus, right? Over and over. Yeah, yeah, TV. Yeah. <laughs> TV. Yeah. Be glued to your TV set. TV. TV. See, there's enough... England's not so foreign. There's enough words in there where I can... Ad- but the fish fingers all... I don't know what the fuck that is. <laughs> <laughs> but the Lowdown... The Lowdown is hilarious. It's almost like the fourth wall thing. He's explaining to you how you sing the blues. You go from A to B to C to D to E. Yeah. And everybody knows, right? Yeah. E minors where you... <laughs> But he's so literal about it. Yeah. It's hilarious, you know? It, it, it and that the riff is fucking econo. That drum riff is so econo it fits that bass lick like a glove. Yeah, man. They get right to the essence. They distill all the fucking flab, all the fucking superfluous. They get it right down to the bare nada. Yeah, there's no fat. There's no fat on this record at all. Why? Probably because they don't know how to play yet, right? So they're trying their best to try to hold on. They had been together six months, and then they recorded this record, if I'm not mistaken. Six months. You know what's funny when you read the book? What? There was actually a fifth member. A guy with a mustache who was an old rock and roller. Yeah. And they kicked him out, right? <laughs> you know that? I think it's before the first gig. I think he lived at the practice house or some shit. We'd never admit it, but deep down, we all get at least some pleasure from bad things happening to somebody we don't like. History's full of stories about bitter enemies being mutually horrible. Usually nothing good comes of it. But sometimes, sometimes... You get soul singers James Brown and Joe Tex, or 17th century nun Sor Juana, and the entire Catholic Church duking it out and dramatically changing our world. On Beef with Bridget Todd, we tell the stories of those petty feuds behind some of the greatest art, innovation, and global events. Listen to Beef wherever you get your podcasts. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. 
I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. So they had an additional singer-guitarist named George Gill who wrote all their songs. Then Colin Newman uh, was the only singer, but then he thought Gill's songs were terrible. So when Gill broke his... This is so fucked up. When Gill broke his ankle trying to steal another band's amp in the archaic punk do-it-yourself spirit, Newman got the rest of the band together and they agreed to fire Gill because he was like, dude, I can fucking... I can write songs, bro. And they they knew they had to trim the motherfucking fat. Yeah, I mean even personnel wise, right? <laughs> and <laughs> I mean I, I can't imagine when I read that I couldn't believe it. I had no idea about that. You know, you think these guys were born in 1977? They came out of some egg. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And one thing that they make clear in the book too: no U.S. references. They don't want to like no rock and roll. And I guess this guy did a lot of that stuff. I want to ask you a question because because you keep mentioning Jam Meccano and you were jamming nonstop touring and with this recording schedule and it's just legendary. But in the early 2000s, you had a very painful infection in your perineum, a.k.a. your your taint. And you were forced to rest for over two months without picking up the bass. So I wanted to ask you. I'm more than two months, <laughs> like half a year. So what did you learn about yourself in that downtime? I was only 42 and I had a lot of work to do. I didn't want to die. Yeah. I got my second opera out of it. Nice. I used Dante's uh, Commedia. Yeah. <laughs> getting sick was the hell. Purgatory was get healing and then getting to play the bass and do kayak. What's happening? <laughs> it was fucked up. You know, it was really fucked up. Uh, you were saying about you, you learn some kind of appreciation when you go through a hell suit. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate. All right. I wanted to talk about, I wanted to, I'm glad you're here, by the way. Thank God you're fucking here, dude, because I love you. This is my favorite podcast I've done so far in the 80 episodes, Mike. So just to give you the heads up, this is, you're the shit, dude. I never think that P word. Dude, I they don't even make that machine. I, I, in my in my internet radio show, you are my my fucking you are the Duke of Awesome. So just fucking know that. I wanted to ask you about Straight Line because you mentioned this before we started talking. Ah, now straight Line's a strange one. I think it's uh, the only one that Bruce wrote. Yeah, Peter, play the intro to Straight Line. So you mentioned this off air, but when I heard Straight Line right after listening to Double Nickel on the Dime, I was like, holy shit. How, I got to have to ask you, how influenced? Because this to me sounds like Minutemen. Yeah. Like it, 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 just, it just has that fucking feel. So, so like you mentioned it, but you said there would be no Minutemen without Wire. Yeah, yeah. I, it's really hard for me to imagine the minute, what would the Minutemen have been if they did not hear Wire. I just have no idea. They had such profound influence on us, especially this idea that song can be whatever you want to make it. They proved that to us more than any other band. Of course, we should have realized that with any anybody, but for some reason it was these guys with this record that showed us you can do anything you want. You got permission. They gave us the geo. 
you know? And I think a lot of it was just, you know, the right place, right time. You know, a lot of coincidence, a lot of circumstance coming together. But it was just like, I don't know. We had to unlearn certain fallacies. Yeah. And the way to unlearn is a good example. Instead of just negative shit, no, let's hear a good, a good example. Here's guys just learning how to play, and they can come up with their own voice. You know, they're, they're for guys from England. Yeah, they, they like rock and roll and stuff, but do they want to make a, a, a rockabilly tribute band? Yeah. <laughs> no, they, they want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. For example, I'm going to write a novel, and I'm not going to invite one word, but I can still make a very original novel. In fact, if I start making up words like Finnegan's Wake, it's kind of hard to read. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. There's ways, and that's what they showed us. You take whatever you got. That's what we Jamie Cano's about. It's not the cheapest thing. It's the most bang for buck. It's you putting everything you got into it. You know, and if you you know, if you fall down, you get back up. You can, you know, like it's. I guess that's more like the skateboarder lesson, but. You're not going to talk your way out of getting back on that skateboard. You have to. You have to get back get up back there. Back up on it. Yeah. Get back up on there. And to us, you know, that's the wire thing. That's the whole movement. You know, doing it in front of people. Okay, it's embarrassing, but you know, maybe that makes shit count more. Oh, for sure. You know, if you're always in the practice pad, maybe you don't try as hard when you want to have to sell it. You know, like they say in wrestling, right? Sell it. Yeah. You sell it. Uh. Yeah, you know, we were talking earlier about Ig, right? Ig's always going to sell it if he's going to fucking... If you're going to do it, room, right? yeah. I, I love that. And it was, this is what, wire. Like, we only got so much time to say what we're going to say. Like, there's an instrumental on the record. It's called The Commercial. Mm -hmm. It starts off the second side. And I thought that was so trippy of them to do that. Why not make an instrumental? Maybe, yeah, you don't do the Paganini thing with... 50 beat notes. <laughs> so what? And what is it? You know, it's whatever you... You know, D. Boone had this famous quote. The skater, in fact, in Arizona, Rob Locker, mm -hmm. made a sticker out of this. And it says, punk is whatever we made it be, to be. And D. Boone said that. And, and, you know, he wasn't being self-conscious. It just came out of his mouth. But that's what it is. The knowing is in the doing. And that's what Wire pro proved us, you know? Uh, even though we couldn't relate, we couldn't understand a lot of what was going on. It didn't matter. You know, just like kind of trippy movies are, right? Yeah. They have an effect on you. They're profound. But you don't have them figured out. You just you just enjoy it and you just love it for what it is. Yeah. In fact, they're, they're provocative. They start shoving you into places maybe you want to explore that you didn't really think, think about before. Again, not making a copy, but, you know... Like the Hooskers with the Zen Arcade, you know, the springboard, launch pad. Yeah. And that's what community can build. And that's how these guys, you know, 6,000 miles away in England, not too indie of a label, by the way, EMI, probably the biggest record company in the world at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just like me getting on the, you know, AT, using the payphone, right? AT&T, not too indie of a company. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, but I put my two quarters in so they don't jump on the line and I don't hang up, okay? I mean, this is the thing about it. These guys were taking responsibility for their own autonomy. They weren't blaming 
you know, oh, the label made us do that. Do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's 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 hard to relate, you know, because all you hear about it is whining and, and excuses for shit because people put out these ridiculous expectations. When you know, let's build a set, let's build a gig, let's build a record. I mean, that's a noble fucking venture. And and these guys did it. These guys fucking did it. Yeah. I mean, what is a fucking flag? You know, like I said, I I, I thought it was about some history thing. You know, D Boone loved history, so you know. But but is really that the pink flag? Is that the whole album? No, that's all these guys. Oh, not all these, all four guys and Mike Thorne coming together to make this fucking world. You know, uh, that, that said to us, you know, Hey, the water's fine. Jump in. Don't be afraid to pogo, man. Let the freak flag fly. What I love about, but you keep saying that let them, let them pogo. What was so great about this album and, and the band wire is that their songs were sh- too short for the fucking fans to pogo to. And they started getting mad because they'd cut them off and they'd be like, wait, we're just started pogoing, which is like, cause here I wanted, I wanted to play, I wanted to play strange real quick because you're talking about how you can inspire. So, so here, Peter, play a little bit of uh strange. Dude, this song is so ahead of its fucking time. It's not even funny. They're also giving you, uh, they're giving you a peek of the next two records. It's got a flute, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's got a flute. With, with the, played by played by Kate Lucas, and she, they put effects on it, and it sounds like ghost shrieks. <laughs> it's almost like, uh, okay, remember this band from Holland called Golden Earring? No, I've never heard of them, but tell me about it. They had a big hit. It was called Radar Love. Oh, yeah, I know Radar Love. Rock and roll, right? But if you went to the gig, that was the only, that, there was only a couple rock and roll songs. The singer pulled out a flute. Yeah, they're a prog band. Oh, no. Sh- <laughs> I would have never fucking th- I'm just blown away they're from Holland. <laughs> well, that's the joy about growing up in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the last song they did was Radar Love, and the drummer actually jumps over his drum set over the lead singer. Who's got the flute? <laughs> That's so fucking great. There was another Dutch band with a flute, uh, Hocus Pocus, uh, Focus, Hocus Pocus. John Ackerman and those guys. But 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 anyway, they're, they're going to start getting into strange sounds. The thing about Wire is they're not going to give you a rerun of Pink Flag. That's how balls out these guys are. Even though this thing worked for them, yeah, it's like we're not going to make a rerun out of this. That's it. We're going to move on to Chairs Missing. Yes. And then from there, 154. And you know what 154 stands for? What's that? That's how many gigs they had played up to that point. Really? I wouldn't shit you. Oh, that's fucking great. What I love love about Strange, what I love about Strange is, like I said, not only is it ahead of its time, but, and I didn't even realize it, because we broke down a document by REM. uh, I think that was episode 462. And they covered 
Strange did their own version of it. It's it's good, but when you listen to this version by Wire, it's like, oh yeah, dude, you you can try to cover it, but you're not gonna do some of the shit, the strange shit that they were doing. So I wanted to ask you this, because the song is called Strange. What is the strangest shit you ever saw on tour? Well, you know our last tour was with our yeah. Really? Wait, that's true. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah, and in fact, when they asked us to open for them, we didn't know what who they were. We had to buy a record. The, 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 the <laughs> ear on the, the wood block. Yeah. Yeah, like, whoa, this is kind of like folk music. A little folk. <laughs> had a big, strong drum, but there, there was no guitar solos. It was, it was interesting. We had no idea. And then when we met them, God, these were deep. Their mind is just like the Hollywood people. These people knew every record. I remember recording some last poets at Pete Buck's Bad. Yeah. Really deep cats. And the last song I got to play with D. Boone was See No Evil, a television cover with those guys. Pete Buck let me, he said, you play my guitar. He had D. Boone on one of his guitars. Georgie played a floor tom. And that's the last time we played together. It was in, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, I think the next year that they did a cover of the anchor, this uh, first time the Minutemen went over two minutes on what makes a man start fires. Mm -hmm. So R.E.M. was into like, I think they wanted to, uh, bands they liked. So they were like trying to turn their, because their crowd was kind of like college kids, right? Because punk really wasn't with, R.E.M.'s the kind of, they're the band that brought the punk to the colleges. Yeah. The college radio in that. They, yeah, I was going to say, they, they kind of created college radio, yeah. Yeah, they were really important that way. And so I think all four of those guys, they wanted their listeners to be, be hip. You know, hey, you like what we do? Well, why don't you listen to stuff we listen to? Buzzcocks and Wire, Last Poets. and That's what I my, my take on the... There was two mics, Pete and uh, Bill. Good guys, mm-hmm. really good guys. You know, d- didn't know that was going to happen and stuff. You know, but uh, mm-hmm. we we're, we we're that was a whole weird experience too, man. Not those guys, but the organization around, and we took a lot of abuse. That was, but we thought that's just the way it is, and that's why we got involved with the movement because Big Rock was stupid anyway. <laughs> Well, you said you took a lot of abuse. Can you can you expand on that? Yeah, like this, like the crew. Oh, we want twenty five bucks to load your gear. Twenty five bucks for the lo- here. We're we're only getting two fifty. I mean, it's nothing to do with the band. Okay, they didn't even weren't aware of this. There's a production manager, road manager, this manager, you know, assistant hair tech, all this clowny stuff, and they ended up firing all these guys except the one tech guy named microwave because they didn't, they found out about this. They, they made a line on the stage called the geek line. We had a lot of cross. One time we heard him do a credence. You know, when I met D Boone, he only knew credence. So we went and did five credence this one gig at the Fox theater in Atlanta, <laughs> man, we got read the riot act. I don't want you ever playing a cover without, it was all this bullshit bureaucracy hierarchy and nothing to do with those guys. This was the gross, disgusting machine around it, and them, and and we we just thought this is the way. No wonder you know, it's asshole world, you know. But then we found out later it, it, they, they they were just being assholes, and you know things don't change until they change, right? 
It wasn't, it wasn't these guys at all. Uh, Mike and Mike and uh, Bill and Peter, they were, they're great, great cats. They, they, they did not know this at all. And we didn't know that there, there was another way to do it. We thought everybody in the big leagues was assholes. You know, what do we know, yeah. right? We, we come from uh, Yeah, because it's your first experience, yeah. Yeah, you know? And then we found out later, no, you can be a decent people in tour. <laughs> you know, have a big tour and not be assholes. You know, you, you don't have to be like that. You don't have to take advantage of this situation, you know. Really, that's, right, how you conduct yourself, right? Dr. King was talking about, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, getting, getting strange. Again, uh, there's something about Robert Go to Bed's drums. Now George Hurley learns by playing uh, to Keith Moon that Happy Jack record, and then Billy Cobham Spectrum, <laughs> the weirdest combination. But you know, same with the bass lines. There's something about them that is really seductive, really interesting in their simplicity, the way they work together, that you don't hear. In a, well, I don't hear in a Yellow Jacket song or in between the uh, commercials on the talk show band TV. You know what I mean? There's something really fundamental in Econo about wire, and especially in the rhythm section. And Strange has got it so really good in there, man. You could, you could build a, a brick shit house on yeah, that foundation. I mean, that, that rhythm section is so fucking solid in fact they start muttering into themselves and there's the flutes and everything and the guitars kind of just like peter out they get out of kind of sync on purpose but it's got such a strong rhythm section that that tune is is really fucking interesting well you know what you know what's it's so funny that you're saying this because and this is why I'm, i really feel like the connection with wire is that they're doing it themselves they're doing whatever the fuck they want if they're gonna go dark they go dark if they want to go poppy they, like in mannequin well, what about the one before that what about the one in between strange and mannequin it's called fragile and it's bob dylan peter do you have a little bit of fragile That is fucking Bob Dylan, dude. I didn't I even think about that. Find me a nail so I can hang my heart. Hang my heart. I got feeling sides, scorching wet lands, neat and precious hands. You know, it's it's got some Bob Dylan. I mean, and, and, and there is far from Hibbing, Minnesota, you know. That just shows you the the, the universality of music. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful fabric to connect the human species, especially you fucked up the humans. Oh my God. I, you, I, I completely agree with you. They're the fabric, like a good flannel, man. And and then, and then coming right out of there because they are, they're getting into like these fifties poppy chord structures. They go into mannequin and then Mike, the, the uh, producer, Mike Thorne, he brings in this high harmonic voice. Firehose covered this song on live totem pole. And we got Juliana Hatfield, to do the high Mike Thorne voice. No shit. What I love about Mannequin, it's just, this is pure, 
Like, this is pop shit. This is like those like here, Peter, play play 130 a mannequin. Oh my fucking god. It's like, dude, this is like the most pop shit on the record and it doesn't come off pandering for plays it feels like it was on purpose it was it's like dude they're it's like almost they're exactly. he's pleading he's pleading your mannequin you know tell me have you ever seen the 40 they made a 45 of this and there's a mannequin on the cover tell me why don't you tell me you're a waste of space right you know, a black hole for a void. It's kind of, it's kind of a pissed off song. But that's the thing is that because he's talking about the punk posers and how they're like participating in the scene by because of the fashion, but they're not punks. I mean, you see it in the lyrics: "You're a waste of space with no natural grace. You're an energy void, a black hole to avoid." And so he's saying these things, shitting and making a true statement, and yet. It's it's one of the most like easily accessible songs on the whole record, and yet his his point of view is so directed and stabbing. Feeling it's using the same intervals of feeling called love, which are both using the same intervals of Louie Louie. Oh, for sure, dude. There's a couple songs on here. There's one we skipped over. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah, well, Pink Flag is their attempt at doing Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. Yeah, yeah. They're using the same interval. And and they put them really close to each other. I mean, they got different to me. This is the same interval as Mannequin. But yeah, but here, Peter, play a little bit of Feeling Called Love. What is this feeling That's Louie Louie and Wild Thing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's also Mannequin. Yeah, for and sure. They, and they probably put it a couple songs away. They don't put it on the other side. <laughs> I'm, 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 really, I'm really curious about how they came up with the fucking sequence. Because they don't answer that in the book. They don't tell you how they came up with the sequence, I don't believe. Well, it just so happens I've got Colin Newman here. Colin, come on out. I'm just kidding. How dope would that be if I pulled out God? You know what I'm saying? It's really significant. I mean, if you put it in different order, I wonder if it becomes a different record. Oh, no, for sure it does. It, it, it's, it changes every... If they don't open with Rooters, I don't know if I if I dig it as much as I did. Like, because it's just the layout. It was almost like they probably talked beforehand. They're like, we start with this. We go into the 28-second song. We bring it back to this. And they just build. And, and it's like... This is a perfect symphony uh, of song structure, uh, you know, in 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 21 songs placed almost perfectly one after the other, in my opinion. Much like much like Double Nickel. <laughs> well, Double Nickels is really influenced by. Now, now I could tell you about the sequencing for Double Nickels. Now, that was rough there, Josh, because. You're talking fucking 48 songs. Ethan James mixed it in one night. Jesus Christ. Was he was he on some of that yeah, sand yeah. that that uh, sand speedro? Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was the eight track. Yeah. So half the track were the drums. So in a way there wasn't a lot of shit to mix. But how were we gonna put fucking 48 songs in order? 
So I was thinking about, because in those days, I mean, there were some cassettes, but mainly you put them out on vinyl, right? Yeah. So on the vinyl, you got two sides, right? And what's the needle outside, right? Usually. So that's probably where you want your best songs. And maybe the shittier ones hold, uh, hug the label, right? So I thought if I had each guy pick a side and then we start picking through the record, all the good songs are going to get put on the outside of the, of the sides. So Georgie got the, first, the long straw. He got the first pick. He picked his own because we all, each did a solo song because we needed some things to unite the concept because we didn't write the thing like the Hooskers, you know. So Georgie picks his own solo song. Then D. Boone got second pick, and he picked uh, Anxious Mofo. And then I picked a political song from Mike Jackson, which I actually sent to his management. Yeah, I know. I thought if Mike Jackson, if Mike Jackson played that song, covered that song, the Minutemen would never have to explain themselves again in an interview. Oh. <laughs> I never got uh, writing back. But that's what we did. We went one after another, picking to all, and then the fourth side, side chafe, because chafe is what you get when you separate the wheat from the chafe. Mm -hmm. So that's where all the songs nobody picked went, was on the fourth side. So that's how we did it. So, you know, my first pick is, uh, that's why it says side Mike, side D, side George, oh. because we actually picked for each side. I yeah. didn't know another way to put 48 songs in order. And I'm really curious on how these guys did this shit. Because it's so perfect. It is perfect. Even even coming to the to the final song on the record, 1-2-X-U, which stands for 1-2-Fuck-You. Uh, and, and it's just like they're, in a sense, they're discovering a self-censored version of their count-in. And it's like they're putting it out there and let yet nobody fucking knows that they're telling everybody one, two, fuck you. Here, play a little bit of the final song on the record, Peter. Uh, play the first verse. Why not? Saw you in the mag, kissing the man. 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 God, I fucking love that bass and it just that digga, 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 yeah. that chugging bass, dude. So this is yeah, this yeah. is covered. This was covered by Bad Brains and by Minor Threat. Yeah, yeah. That's how dope this shit is. <laughs> you know, but what he, what he didn't play there was he actually. This is the only song in the record that has a little intro. He actually speaks, and here's the next song, and it's called right. He has a little intro. None of the other songs are like that. Yeah. So in a way, again, it's the fourth wall. He looks into the camera, right? You're not supposed to do that in Hollywood, right? You don't look into the camera. No. Right? Charlie Chaplin did in that w movie where he spoke. You do if you want to freak people out. You got to break the fourth wall, dude. You got to break the fourth fucking wall. Break the fourth fucking wall. And, 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 and this, you know, we didn't know fags were cigarettes. And you're in the mag kissing the man. So we didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. Yeah, well, he made, they made the matter. lyrics like this sexually ambiguous. And I, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But, well, it's ambiguous because we're too ignorant, but yeah, it didn't matter. Yeah, they sold it. That song is so, and that guitar solo, 
the way they build that up again, it's not with notes. It's like the same one they do in Lowdown, where they build it up with a few strums, more strums, more strum. I mean, it's incredible. They're using everything that they got as device to sell it. You know what I mean? There's something about that that is just, for me, just fucking in, inspiring, man. That You know, all the show, oh, it's all been done. Bullshit, it's all been done. You know, that's what Wire Smoke does. No, it ain't all been done. Yeah, return to forever, <laughs> but not fucking big flag. When I graduated high school, the big album was called Some Romantic Warrior, but it was by... Returned to forever. And it was not pink flag. No. I think one year apart. Same, same, same with, I remember the same month that the first Boston album came out. I think the television album came out, Marky Moon. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't, you know, they got like this whole city on a spaceship guitar. And then you open up the, the, the television record and these guys are sitting in front of little fenders. <laughs> you didn't see pictures like that. I mean, this shit was eye-opener for people who needed it. And, and for you to be so much younger and still relate to it, I think that's bitching. But, man, for us in those days, there was nothing like it. I mean, it was like, what the fuck? Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Well, let me ask you this, because we were talking about the use of the words, the song being sexually ambiguous, you know, yeah, how, I want to know, like, how supportive was the early hardcore scene to homosexuality or or what do you want to call alternative lifestyles? Because you're you're in the thick of it and it was so different. So it's like, what was it like back then with those situations? Well, the hardcore, you know, there's a difference between the 70s punk and the hardcore. The hardcore is more young guys. And of course, there was gay guys and that stuff, too. But I think a lot more peer pressure. Whereas the seventies punk, it was very gay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. It was never a pro fucking problem with us. I mean, never got attacked in the bathroom and never felt, yeah. you know, scared or shit like that. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, you know, Mark Boland, had a boa, you know, and John Fogarty had a flannel. I didn't know Farmers and Lumberjacks. I thought that was his rock and roll shirt. Yeah. But I couldn't understand those bass lines on the Creedence records. And I looked at the album covers and I thought, man, I'm going to wear the same shirts the singer is. And maybe D. Boone will still like me. Okay. I, yeah, the whole thing about 
which what makes a man a man in rock and roll, I I was never uh, sure about. Maybe that was okay. Yeah. And so yeah yeah and so like there was enough fucking hell and shit to worry about and stuff like that. So I, I it never concerned me. I I never got uptight. I never you know got freaked out or weirded out. I can't speak for other people, but. You know, you, but it's like I grew up. I grew up right outside of Washington D.C. A lot of my friends were were very like homophobic in the shit that they would say, and and so it kind of gets engraved well, you in you. Young and that people young people are, are, are in groups, you know, and, and peer pressure is very strong. And there, it's yes. But the thing was, though, Mike, when I started venturing into the D.C. hardcore scene, and I started venturing to like the nightclubs, going to like raves and. And, and I started partying with people and then there was so many gay people in that rave scene that immediately I was like, oh, these motherfuckers are having the best time ever. They do the most amount of drugs and they're the funnest people to be around. So, yeah, it just it just breaks down walls. So so when you're in there partying with these people and you're playing music and you look out in the audience, it doesn't make a difference if they're black, white, gay, straight, Chinese, whatever. If if they're rocking in there for the good time, like then who gives a shit what the fuck they want to do in their private life, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that should be like kind of self-apparent, huh? You would, you would think, right? Just, just, just on the level on how would you want to be treated yourself. Yeah. That should be just self-evident, right? Self-evident, maybe that's the word. But, but people, you know, remember Pat Boone sold a lot more Tutti Fruities than Little Richard. And when they asked Little Richard about that, he said, well, you know, maybe his version was for the living room and my version was for the bedroom. Hmm. I love that. <laughs> I mean, that's like 1955. I mean, shit has been co-opted by assholes for a long time. And that, I don't know if that's ever going to get solved. But what you can do is take responsibility yourself and not be part of the problem. That's the way I always looked at it. It's fucking hard to change other people. But at least you can fucking keep your own shit straight, right? Yeah. Try, at least try. You know, but I've heard the weirdest stuff come out of people. And sometimes, you know, man, I really like that song that guy played or wrote. But then he went and ruined it by saying this other stuff. Dude, you're the man, dude. All right, you want to do you want to do you want to do some facts and then get out of here? I got a couple facts I want to throw by you from the from the record. Sure. All right, all right. Uh, usually I sing it, but I'll be like facts, 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 facts. There you go. All right. Uh, so Colin had said that his mission was to destroy rock and roll. Do you feel like that's true? Do you feel like Wire destroyed rock and roll? Well, they tried. And, and, you know, helped it grow <laughs> at the same time. I mean, they're the band. They're like they're, Their quote that I love more than anything is that we're the most famous band that no one knows about. Uh, yeah, yeah. They might be. They might be. But in the scene I was in, they were huge. For sure. For sure. But I'm just they saying, like, it's like, it's like for someone like me who, I mean, and listen, I'm, I'm not the i'm I'm just such a big music fan and to finally have them come into my life in a sense after listening to this knowing when it came out did they destroy rock and roll maybe maybe not but did they add something to it that 
is going that changed the direction of music from this from their first record point on yeah so i wanted to ask you this being that you've been so involved with music your whole life what still gives you hope in rock and roll oh the people making it you know like i said the old days was about people the new days are about people as long as people are still using i can't remember who said it but they're talking about the fucking pen knife and where is the art in the pen knife it's what is to be carved with the fucking knife. I mean, you can have an artistic pen knife too, but really the power is in what's to be carved. How can you, you know what I mean? Leap out of the head and get out in the world where it can be shared with other people. That's where, and so rock and roll can still be used for that. Okay. The wire guys did it. Wire guys helped. Minuteman guys realize this. Urinal guys. You know, there's certain bands like this. They help them realize this, that rock and roll or whatever music can be uh, a means. You know, it can be a means. And uh, really interesting, you know. And when you get, when you get an understanding like that, huge burdens and shackled chains like genre right yeah labels bins in the chain store what bin does it go in like that's the fucking drama <laughs> yeah <laughs> right what bin do i have to put it in i remember old days we'd always be in the import why we're, we're from this land oh because that's where the punk records go you know that just is bullshit that's bullshit i know but this is the reality on the dealio okay and and sometimes you know how tires work on a car you got to have some friction or that tire is just going to spin so maybe you need some of this kind of you know how fertilizer works right it's weird about sometimes you need some kind of pushback so maybe that's part of it i don't know you know the wall's there because i pushed against it <laughs> i just didn't agree it was over there i actually put my hands on it. oh wow i found some hinges it actually opens <laughs> but you know i had to put my hands on it and that, that's what the wire guys, you know, yeah, they're conceptualists, but they got their hands dirty with the idea of making a band. And the great thing is they didn't make a rerun. They didn't milk it. They didn't flog it. And once they made Pink Flag and some singles, they went on to Chairs Missing. Then they went on to 150. You know, they never until like if they've looped back on themselves, it's kind of now, right? Yeah. Like 30, 40 years later. Which I think is okay. You know, as long as you're, like, you're not trying to sell people happy days. Fonzie and Potsy. And I remember my pop saying those were not fucking happy days. Yeah. <laughs> but it was using it as a means. You know, and that's what they were doing. I think what Colin was talking about was more, more idioms and cliches. He didn't want to... Because he wanted you to listen to the band. He didn't want it so so dismissed, you know. Maybe that's why. They wanted people to pay attention. No, and they did. I mean, they. I, I definitely did. All right. Um, next fact: the 1995 song "Connection" from Britpop band Elastica clearly borrowed from Three Girl Rumba in its intro and got them sued. So I want to play the intro to to "Connection" by Elastica. Peter, play that.
did they did they steal? Did they did they little little takesy do little dipsy do take a room? <laughs> I was on tour helping uh, porno for pyros out in Australia, and this band was on the. It was called the Big Day Out tour. Oh, I've heard of that. And yeah. this band was playing this song. So I kind of have personal experience. Wow. Oh, so you you called it out as soon as you fucking heard it. Well, everybody knew. Maybe the people in Alaska didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they knew when they got they got the lawsuit. Big in our scene. Yeah. Wire was so huge in our scene. I know that they, they said they were the most unfaithful. They were on EMI. They were on Harvest. They were on a huge label. Was it like alternative television? You know. Yeah. For the fall. <laughs> but 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 still, yeah. Your average square, John. They don't know who Wire is, and maybe these uh, alternative people thought they were going to get away with stealing their song, but they didn't. Yeah. Um. All right. I wanted to ask you this. I don't have a fact about it. We already. Well, we kind of had the fact. It was going to be about the pogoing and how their songs were too short to jump up and down. But I wanted to end on this because I watched the documentary about Minutemen. Uh. This is, I mean this, Mike, from the bottom of my heart. This has been one of my favorite uh, radio interviews I have ever done because your, your, your energy and your love for music and what you do is so fucking infectious. So I have to ask this. With so much raw energy and unfocused anger at Minutemen shows, what's the craziest thing ever thrown at you on stage? Uh, first time we played Vienna, open up for Black Flag. Uh, all the power goes on. Oh shit! First note of the first song, and it comes back on, and someone had thrown a whole cup of piss in D Boone's face. Oh my god! But I was, I was covered with uh, used rubbers. <laughs> what you put them on there, or they're somebody just they there. threw them at you? I don't know. Eight or nine of them. They're stuck on my base, on my arm, and yeah. So somebody put in a little effort. <laughs> But I've been hit with all kinds of shit. The worst shit. I mean, that was funny in a way. Yeah. But worst was batteries. Yeah, they fucking hurt. Oh, my D God. D batteries. Yeah. Dude, a triple A you could oh. take, but a D battery or a nine volt, you're fucked. Paper sacks that rip and so you smell the shit. Oh. But getting hit with fucking batteries, that's the worst. Oh, my God. Uh, Mike, I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, dude. I, I had so much fun talking to you today, brother. This was so great, especially after doing uh, Minutemen last week to, to have you on for this. It, it's just, it's proven to me that the universe is working in my favor to bring us together, man. I, I mean it. I, I, I love your music. I love you. And I can't thank you enough for coming on, dog. Love back, Josh. Thanks for having me aboard, truly. What did I tell you? What did I tell you, everybody? The one and only Mike Watt. I'm telling you, Hall of Fame guest. Follow Mike on all social media at Watt from Pedro. And if you want to get all things Mike Watt, go to his website, hootpage.com. That's H-O-O-T-P-A-G-E dot com. Now, we just listened to Wire from 1977. This week, our music director, Matt Pinfield, selected, because none of you submitted music, Fontaine's DC, a five-piece post-punk band from Dublin, Ireland, whose single Boys in the Better Land was one of the most critically acclaimed indie singles of the last five years in the UK. 
You probably heard their music in Peaky Blinders or a bunch of different TV shows and movies. You're going to hear it right now because we're playing it. And their new album, A Hero's Death, will be released July 31st. And their first single is Televised Mind. And you can find all the links to the song that's playing right now on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you were in a band and you were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send your song to 500podcasts at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week, it's Eric Clapton week as we go deep into his 1974 solo record, 461 Ocean Boulevard. It's a Wang Zuki. Mainline Florida is going to blow your mind. Do your homework. Stay fleecy. Oh, yeah. Doogle, doogle. Saying sister, sister, how I missed you, missed you. Let's go wrist to wrist and take the skin off of a blister. If you're a rock star, porn star, superstar, doesn't matter what you are. Get yourself a good car, get out of here. Well, put the boys in the better line. You're always talking about the boys in the better line. The boys in the better line. Put the boys in the better line. You're always talking about the boys in the better line. The boys in the better line. Driver's got names for the two double barrels. He spits out, rips out, only smokes carols. Refreshing the world in mind, body, and spirit. Mind, body, and spirit. You better hear it and fear it. Oh, that's the spirit. Saying, sister, sister, how I missed you, missed you. Let's go wrist to wrist and take the skin off of a sister. If you're a rock star, porn star, superstar, doesn't matter what you are. Get yourself a good car, get out of here. Yeah. Put the boys in the better line. You're always talking about the boys in the better line. The boys in the better line. Put the boys in the better line. You're always talking about the boys in the better line. The boys in the better line. Names to fill two double barrels. He spits out, breaks out, only smokes carols. And he's refreshing the world in mind, body, and spirit. Mind, body, and spirit. You better hear it, I fear it. Ah, that's the spirit. Saying, sister, sister, how I missed you, missed you. Let's go wrist to wrist and take the skin off of a blister. If you're a rock star, porn star, superstar, doesn't matter what you are, get yourself a good car, get out of here. Yeah. 
put the boys in the battle line. You're always talking about the boys in the battle line. The boys in the battle line. Put the boys in the battle line. You're always talking about those boys in the battle line. The boys in the battle line. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or were nothing more than a one hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Next Chapter Podcasts.